Hi, my name is Father Mike Schmitz, and you're listening to the Catechism in a Year podcast. In today's pre-launch episode, I have Bishop Andrew Cousins with me, uh, who's going to be our special guest that introduces the second pillar of the Catechism later on. No, he's introducing the pre- he's pre-introducing the second pillar of the Catechism today. We had Jeff Cavins. We have others who will be after Bishop Cousins. Jeff talked about the creed, and though the second pillar of the Catechism is the sacraments, and and that third pillar is life in Christ, the moral life. The fourth pillar is, of course, prayer. But today, in this first episode, the catechism will start on January 1st. But in this first pre-episode, I guess I'll say it like this, he's going to be sharing with us a little bit about his background as a bishop, his involvement in the catechism in a year. He'll also offer us some guidance as we prepare to learn about the authority and the mission of the church, which are so critically important, especially as we uh, launch into this whole year of studying the catechism, what God has to say through his church to us in our day and age. So without anything further, I'm so grateful, Father, uh, sorry, <laughs> Father Bishop, I remember when you were Father Cousins, but I'm so grateful to have you, Bishop Cousins. Delighted to be with you, Father Mike. It's an honor to be on your podcast. Oh, it's just, oh, this is such an incredible, it really is a gift. When, when we when we asked who could be the person to introduce that second pillar, I was like, well, I don't know. What about Bishop Cousins? Because he, when you taught at the seminary, the seminary that I also had gone to, um, I was already gone, unfortunately, because everyone that I talked to who had your sacraments class, in particular, your class on the Eucharist, they were just raving about this class. And I'm like, why Why did I get ordained so early is my question. And why didn't I get to have uh, Father Cousins, now Bishop Cousins, as my uh, seminary professor? But um, I'm so grateful for this. Um, could you give us, you know, there are some people who might be listening to this podcast who don't uh, know of your story. Um, would you mind just kind of sharing with us how you got to be where you're at right now? Yeah, I'm very happy to share. You know, uh, I grew up in a good Catholic family and uh, had the blessing of a, of a family that, you know, shared the faith with me. And actually, I, I wanted to be a priest from very young age. I had my first communion in first grade. My parish priest pulled me out of the other first grade class and for some reason chose me to make my first communion early so I could serve mass with him. Wow. Um, so I made my first communion in first grade and then began to serve holy mass with him in first grade. And right from the beginning of serving mass, I think I said, I want to be a priest like Monsignor Barry, who was my parish priest and was a mentor for me all growing up. Um, but I, I also grew up in that time period in the church when we didn't always have great catechesis. You know, and uh, although I loved the church, I always believed in the real presence of Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament. We didn't always have a good understanding of the fullness of the faith and all the richness of the faith. And it wasn't really until I went to college when I met some people who were taking their faith more seriously. Actually, I met some some net missionaries, the national evangelization teams. And these were missionaries who were traveling the country sharing their Catholic faith, and they happened to come near me. And one of them happened to be my sister, which was the reason I went on the retreat that they were giving. <laughs> but when I saw people who were on fire with their faith, I really had a desire then to learn more about my faith and to study it more as a young adult. And that's also really when my, my thoughts about priesthood began to be much more serious. It had been a kind of childhood dream, but it was in college when I really began to study my faith that uh, I became much more convinced that God might be calling me to the priesthood. So I ended up having a couple years after college where I did serve as a missionary myself, both with Net Ministries, the National Evangelization Teams, and with another sister ministry called St. Paul's Outreach. And then after that, I decided it was time to go to seminary. Uh, and actually, you know, it connects to this podcast because when I was in seminary is when the catechism came out. And, uh, you know, John Paul II was my hero. He was like yeah. 
he was just the man I wanted to be like. He he was so alive and so full of energy and and when he produced when his you know magisterium his teaching produced the catechism, it was such a great gift and and we devoured the thing in seminary. We were seminarians. We had time on our hands, and so we devoured the catechism because it was such a great gift when it came out. And to have the kind of fullness of breadth of it and all all that it was, so I really always loved the catechism right from the very beginning. And uh, you know, then as I, you know, you grow in your own faith journey, and uh, you begin to realize the importance of things like the catechism and things like study. And I had the opportunity to do uh, a doctorate in, in sac- sacred theology with a focus on sacraments, and and then had the opportunity to teach sacraments in the seminary where I had gone. And uh, I really treasured that opportunity to study the faith more deeply. Um, but I can tell you honestly, like, yeah, I, I have a doctorate degree in theology, but I still use the catechism <laughs> when I want to teach on certain topics because it's such a practical and actually really deep tool. And uh, so it's actually still a very helpful thing. Then, of course, uh, you know, I taught at the seminary for, for about eight years, and eventually I was made a bishop, an auxiliary bishop in the Twin Cities. and. Um, you know, a bishop is is a teacher. It's one of the things that a bishop's called to do. And so teaching, which is something I loved to, to, to do in the seminary, and I found great fulfillment in doing, it became a part of my broader ministry that I was called to do all the time. And uh, uh, again, I found the catechism to be a great reference. Uh, what was interesting is that eventually I was elected as a bishop to be the chair of the Committee on Evangelization and Catechesis in the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops, which I've now been serving in for the past couple of years. And I've got one more year left on that on that term. But as the chair of the committee that oversees the catechism, you know, the, the church owns the catechism, we would say, you know. And, right. uh, and so my committee's in job, part of our job is to oversee the catechism. And for example, we, ass- we ensure that when people write textbooks for religion, that those religious textbooks are in in accord with the catechism and they actually teach what the catechism says, you know, to have some credibility. So I actually remember hearing about this idea of the podcast coming up because it came up through the committee when Ascension and, and Father Mike Schmitz want to do that. I said, we have to do that. That is a great idea <laughs> to have this opportunity just for the average person to go through it every, you know, day by day throughout the year. I just thought that was a great idea. And then, of course, the other thing I've been doing as part of my work with the uh, United States Conference of Catholic Bishops, or as part of my work with the Committee on Evangelization and Catechesis, I've been uh, charged with leading a national Eucharistic revival. Yeah. And this is one of the most exciting and largest projects that the U.S. bishops have, have taken on, I think, and a real work of the Holy Spirit. And so uh, it's also exciting for me to be able to talk a, a little bit with you about part two of the catechism when that time comes because that's the part of the sacraments. And not only did I study the sacraments and I taught the, the, the sacraments, especially the Eucharist course, for me, uh, I've just come to understand the importance of the Eucharist in our life as Catholics. And, and I'm so excited by this National Eucharistic Revival to see the church herself say, no, we need to actually renew the heart of our church through the Eucharist and through our faith in the Eucharist. So I think the fact that all of this comes together is a very exciting prospect for me. That's so. That's this is incredible. I just love hearing of your the background. So I, I had just been confirmed in high school, um, and it was the next year the catechism came out, and so you got to be in seminary when the catechism came out. I remember being so well. I, I was interested at that point. At that point, I had already had a conversion toward the Lord, and I remember 
because it was such a big deal for me that the catechism was published because in, in your section or, you know, section on the sacraments mm-hmm. on confirmation and it labels the five effects of confirmation. And I remember thinking, I wish I would have known this before I got confirmed, but I know it now and I'm very grateful for that. But it's so clear. I love the fact that you are saying that as a someone who has a doctorate, you use the catechism. And as someone who's a bishop, that you use the catechism. Because think about all of the people who are going to be journeying with us. And but maybe with doctorates, maybe without them, maybe some bishops, maybe not, maybe some non-bishops might be joining us. But this is for the faithful. Um, I think I remember hearing a story. Maybe you heard this too. Um, I think it was someone had written to Pope Benedict, or at least he got back some some flack from maybe some German bishops who were saying, why would you use a catechism? No one's going to buy it. No one's going to read it at all. And then I think he he writes this forward to one of the, like a, an ancillary supplementary book of the catechism saying, well, maybe no one's going to read it, but it's on the bestseller list. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> in multiple languages, um, but you were read, you've been reading it for a long time. Yeah, I've been reading the Catechism for a long time, and I, I actually use it. I keep it right by my little place where I pray every morning, wow. and uh, I don't read it every day, not even close to that, but um, I might actually start doing that when, I, when the podcast starts, because I'm excited to follow along, um, and it's nice to have that ability to go through something just a little bit every day and, and really get the consistency down, but uh, I think, you know, what happened uh, when the catechism came out is people were surprised by the impact that it had. And, you know, I was surprised by the beauty of it. Right. You know, it's just such a beautifully put together document. And, you know, those very first paragraphs where it just talks about uh, the kind of God that we have and how God loves us and how he's always drawn near to us. And, and then this whole understanding that, that everything that we have in the church flows from one source, which is the Trinity. And the whole kind of pedagogy of the catechism is just a beautifully put together document. And I still find when I read it, it, it actually helps my prayer. And it's an interesting thing because people think of dogma or teaching, you know, Greek, the Greek word for teaching is dogma. They think of dogma as kind of like hard, cold facts. And it, nothing can be further from the truth. Actually, it's beautiful because it's telling us about infinite truth and infinite goodness and infinite beauty. And your prayer gets enriched by dogma and needs to be enriched by dogma because dogma is actually putting you in direct contact with God. And that helps you to um, experience and know God and, and you can't love what you don't know. And so uh, it really actually is, is a document that can strengthen your relationship, not just your intellect, but your heart. Yeah. And that I, I'm so glad you said that because one of the goals behind this, um, so one of the goals behind the Bible in a year was to recapture a biblical worldview and to be able to say, okay, I actually, one of the opening lines is like to see life through the lens of scripture. And that's what we mean by the biblical worldview. But as you're describing the catechism as well, you realize, you like you said, you can't love what you don't know. And here is not just information, but it's an invitation to transformation. It's not just um, here's data, but here's God himself and Father, Son, Holy Spirit, three persons, revealing himself and revealing ourselves to us through not just the sacred scripture, but also through, through sacred tradition. And so I, I think one of the big questions people can have is, what's the authority of sacred tradition? Or even what to say like this, like, what does church authority mean? Because we're going to say, okay, this is what the church teaches. You know, here's the catechism, what the church teaches. What does, yeah, what does that mean? Where does it come from? Yeah, so, you know, all the authority in the church 
comes from Christ. And mm. uh, the yeah. church gets her authority from the person of Jesus Christ. The church is the body of Christ. The church is the continuation of the presence of Christ in the world. And so all the authority of the church comes from Christ. And uh, really, the teaching authority of the church is is an attempt to be faithful to Christ's teaching and to his revelation. And when you begin to think about it, um, you know, Cardinal Newman, he has a wonderful way of speaking about the need for infallibility in the church. Infallibility is a big word and people are like, what is, you know, what does that mean? And who actually thinks that anyone's infallible? Um, but we know that God is infallible, right? God is not capable of making an error and because he's God, right? And so therefore Jesus is also, because he's God, he's infallible, he's incapable of making an error. And Jesus, he gives us a truth that is essential for salvation. And it's essential to know this truth in order to get to heaven. And it's the truth of his word. It's the truth of his teaching. It's the truth of his moral life, all those things. Now, God would not give us a truth that we need to get to heaven and not also give us a way to keep that truth safe throughout all of time. And so that's why he gives us the authority of the church. It's the church's job to protect this truth of revelation, which is essential for salvation. Because we know it's capable of being corrupted. When you look at the history of the world, sometimes that teaching can get corrupted. And we could lose the saving teaching if we didn't have the infallibility of the church. Now, the infallibility of the church is, of course, the Holy Spirit. <laughs> it's God himself, right? God who is leading the church and guiding the church. And of course, the catechism is beautiful about this because it explains that there are different levels of authority, not everything that a pope or a bishop or somebody like that says is infallible. That's for sure, right? <laughs> I'm wrong all the time. <laughs> but when it, comes to, when it comes to revelation, which is what God has revealed, which is necessary for salvation, God guarantees that that saving truth won't be lost throughout of time. And he gives his, this authority, which is God's own authority to the church. There's another aspect of it that's, that's actually beautiful, which is, you know, because authority is is not very well liked today. It's kind of a tough, tough thing, right? We, we were taught to question authority and, you know, well, what, by what authority do you have to teach? You know, so we're, we're taught to question it, but actually authority is a great gift because it allows us to be obedient. And what is it that saved us? It was Jesus's obedience, right? By the obedience of one man, St. Paul says, uh, salvation was won from the diso by the disobedience of one man. Salvation was lost. Adam, by the obedience of one of one man, salvation comes to us. And so the same thing has to come in the life of every Christian. I have to be obedient to the truth of who God is and His revelation. And so that obedience is what unites me to Jesus's obedience, which unites me to God Himself. Wow, that is. I love that you're able to make the connection, not just make the leap, right? It's not, it's not a leap. It is, it is a direct connection between this recognition of we need authority in order to have obedience because it is the love of God in Jesus Christ obeying his father that brought about the salvation of the world. It is then our subsequent obedience that allows us to participate in that saving action and bring it, allow it to change our lives. And so we couldn't do that without authority. Wow, that's a, I, I'd never heard it articulated like that, Bishop. That's, inc I, I love that. St. Paul calls it the obedience of faith, right? Yes. And so 
we know, for example, in the Catechism makes this point in the creed, the creeds, they, they predate the scriptures, right? They were, they were creeds that predated the scriptures and, and, and they're, they're, in that sense, they're summaries of, of what was revealed in the scriptures. And, and so um, the obedience of faith is to say, yeah, I believe that what is revealed in this creed is true. And that's what leads to salvation. So it, it's helpful to approach authority that way rather than, you know, the prove it to me mind, mindset. Like, no, I, I actually want to be set free in obedience and I want to know the truth rather than um, this needs to be proven so that I can before I accept it. That's fascinating. I like that that distinction also between the um, just here's here's an openness and just teach me versus the prove it to me. Um, one of the things I found is that, you know, the scriptures themselves, they don't often make an argument. They simply just they reveal this God's revelation of himself. He's not arguing for his existence. He's not arguing for his goodness. He's just revealing himself. And something similar is uh, I'll talk to some people who will say, well, you know, does the catechism, you know, offer a proof for X, Y, or Z. And it's like, well, actually the catechism just teaches. I mean, it gives a reason a lot of times for the teaching, but it's not trying to convince you of, it's not, I love that, teach it to me versus prove it to me. And the catechism, it really almost, I don't wanna say requires, but you can go a lot further in the catechism when you uh, are saying, teach me rather than prove it to me. Yeah, and when you understand that, um, you know, as Jesus says, it's the truth which sets us free. Right. Uh, and especially with the catechism, because one of the, the gifts of the catechism is we're dealing with it. You know, this catechism published in 1980 something, right? Nin 1988 or 89 is when it first comes out, the new catechism. And uh, we're dealing with 1988 years of experience. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. And this is this is kind of the, the, the gift of of the tradition of the church. Right. Is. Uh, it's the wisdom of the saints. It's the wisdom of all the teachers that go before us. It's the wisdom of all of the ecumenical councils, right? The bishops of the world gathered together and they they discussed and debated and decided things. And we bring that, it's like this long stream that begins with Jesus. And it, it, as it goes, it actually grows with all this incredible wisdom still from the same source, you know, but it becomes more understood, more um, able to re be received or Another way, sometimes the fathers of the church talked about is a tree, you know, Jesus plants this seed, but then it grows and that tree begins to develop all these other branches that they were already present in the seed, but we can fully understand them now because of the beautiful teaching of St. Leo the Great in the fourth century or St. Augustine, you know, or St. Thomas Aquinas. These are some of the most brilliant, um, wise persons in the history of the world and they have enriched and strengthened this whole tradition, which now we get to receive in the catechism. And it's all summarized for you and ordered for you. So you can receive, you know, tastes and parts of this whole tradition all the way along the way. One of the things people are surprised by the catechism is how much it quotes the saints. Oh yeah. Right. And not to mention, of course, scripture. Oh, it's so much scripture, so many saints. It, like you said, that's, it's the accumulation, not only here of the data of scripture, but also this resource of these people who lived it out and lived lives of discipleship of holiness. And like their words have weight to them now because like they lived it, you know, they, they interiorized it and it actually transformed their lives. That's full. Yeah. We stand taller because we stand on their shoulders as that famous saying is right. And the beauty of the catechism, it kind of presents that all to you in such an easy way to grasp, you know, 
Well, you know, um, you are on the committee for evangelization and catechesis. So the catechism, obviously, catechesis, but also evangelization. Mm-hmm. And what would you say is the the connection or maybe even the the mission of between the catechism and evangelization? Is, is Or maybe there isn't one, or, or is there one? No, they're essentially united. The purpose of the catechism is for evangelization because the purpose of the church is for evangelization. The reason <laughs> we have a church is to share the saving love of Jesus Christ, the good news, right? The saving love of Jesus Christ so that more people can come to experience salvation, the great gift of salvation. And the catechism is at the service of that mission. And so um, it's meant to be, in that sense, an evangelizing document, as everything we do in the church is meant to be evangelizing. That is sharing the truth and the beauty and the goodness of our faith so that others might be saved. And so, in fact, this is one of the... Uh, important things about the catechism to understand it, that it's it's not just simply a kind of list of teachings, um, but it's it's alive. <laughs> the teaching of the church is alive because it's the teaching of Jesus and Jesus is alive. And so it's a, in that sense, we speak about a living tradition, right? That we're all a part right. of and we're experiencing. And when we receive it, it creates new life in us, new insights, new ways to live the gospel. It creates salvation in that sense because it's connected to divine revelation, right? Which is the source of salvation. Um, so in this sense, it's not a, it's meant to be an evangelizing document. It's also part of the, the reason that catechism uses saints and other people is because of the witness factor, right? Right. Um, Cause all evangelization comes from witness. And again, it's the beauty of the catechism. It's the witness of almost 2000 years um, that's coming to us now the witness of all those who've lived the faith and the various aspects of the faith uh, throughout these 2000 years. So it, that becomes a very evangelizing thing for us. And people who study the, the catechism find their faith being increased. Well, that, that makes sense that, that the more, like you mentioned before, how can you love what you don't know? And mm-hmm. the more you come to know the Lord, the more you know you can trust him, the more you know that, well, the more you can have the capacity to love because you know what you're loving, but also whenever it comes to like faith and growth and faith, one of the things that I, I'm a simple guy <laughs> in some ways. And when it comes down to like, there's so many uh, incredible ways to try to communicate what is faith. And sometimes it just seems to me that um, faith isn't just, oh, I, I believe these propositions and it doesn't, doesn't stop here, but I think there's a really incredible uh, essential part of faith that is trust. That's the sense of it's it's relational that I, I I trust you because I know you, and there's that sense of with the Lord as well, where in some ways I have to approach Him without skepticism, but with the disposition of trust. And I guess when we're approaching the Catechism, there might be the temptation we already talked about. You know, teach me versus prove it to me. That skepticism versus okay, I'm going to trust here. I guess, I don't know, how, how would you invite people to approach the catechism with that disposition of trust and openness? Yeah. You know, so um, faith, you're exactly right. It's always a relational act. I Actually, I always have faith in a person, not faith in a thing, right? Right. So I often talk about like natural faith. When I come up to a four-way stop and I'm, I'm stopped and the other car is coming, I go before that car stops because I basically have faith that the other guy's going to stop. At that right. stop sign, right? But I don't have faith. <laughs> it's worked in the every stop time. Sign. Yeah, <laughs> almost. I don't have faith in the stop sign. I got. I have faith in that person. 
right. it's a relational act, right? That's good. And it's yeah. the same thing with every paragraph of the catechism. Why do I believe it? Because I have faith that Jesus is God and what God says is true and that the church is the body of Christ and it's essentially connected to Jesus and that the church as which is this community of believers that that God founded that Jesus Christ founded and that he then founded so that we could carry his teaching and his saving mysteries throughout the time of of the world that that she is a she is a guardian of that truth right and so i have faith in the person of jesus and in the holy spirit guiding the church which is why i believe all the paragraphs of the catechism so you're right though it's it's always a, an act of trust in a person now the beauty is even if you're a doubter and all of us struggle with doubts at certain times and so it's okay to doubt right you can test it <laughs> and it works <laughs> in other words uh it's proven truth proven in not in a sense of provable because we're talking about divine revelation things that are beyond our 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 own mind but it it's proven that it works and you can read about the lives of the saints and look at look at the people who have tried to live this faith and you see that it works and it's the line from gk chesterton right christianity has never been tried and found wanting it's been found too difficult and left untried right when you try it you discover that it does actually help you understand the way the world is and the way your life is. And it, it also actually does also lead to fulfillment. Yeah. Yeah. That is, and that, that requires a sense of uh, trust first, right? That sense of mm -hmm. I'm not just kind of testing it out in that sense of I'll dabble, I'll, put, I'll stick my toe in and see if I'm blessed or <laughs> if I'm less blessed as opposed to, okay, I'm just, I'm going to trust you and move forward and realize that um, sometimes, you know, sometimes we can only, come to faith once we've started moving in that in that sense yeah. of like once i've started trusting there's that element um i have a, just two quick last things if you don't mind um one is i mean i know when we talk about the authority of the church and we recognize that okay so here is i trust in the church because i trust jesus and i know that jesus has established his church and he's promised that he's given all authority in heaven on earth to, to his church to, to guide into all truth um and yet one of the things people will come back with is well, yeah, but there's so much brokenness in the church. And look at history, and history demonstrates. If you want to talk about proof, well, history proves, um, and our current experience proves, right, that, you, as you mentioned, the Holy Spirit is the soul of the church, but also there's a bunch of broken people in it, too. How would we kind of reconcile that? Or what do we do with that? Yeah, one Catholic writer, he said, original sin is the only Catholic dogma we can prove. <laughs> and you don't have to go far to prove it. You just read the newspaper and you just look into your own heart. You can prove it, right? We know yeah. that we're fallen, broken human beings. And that's the point. All of the brokenness of the church can be accredited to fallen, broken human beings. And human beings have not lived up to the gospel that Jesus left us. And because of that brokenness, lots of damage has been done at different times in the world. But that's actually, oddly enough, it's a proof hmm. of it's an evidence for why the church can be trusted. Because despite all those errors and brokenness throughout 2000 years and all the ways that the leaders of the church have often messed up, and some of them done very sinful and terrible things, the fact is the truth has been maintained. So there's the famous story of Napoleon when he had one of the cardinals of Rome in prison. And he said to the cardinal, he said, you know, we're gonna destroy your church. 
And the cardinal said, you can't destroy the church. We priests have been trying to do it for, you know, 1500 years. We we can't do it. (laughs) So, because because the Holy Spirit's guiding the church, she has continued to remain faithful and always will to the truths that God has revealed, even though there's a lot of brokenness and sin and will continue to be sadly in her members and even in her leaders sometimes. Mm-hmm. So it is important to make that distinction, right? Um, between the, uh, the brokenness and the sinful actions of, of individuals and the, the teaching of the church, which continues to come down to us through the ages. Well, and I'm glad you said that too, because there's a sense of um, all of the things people point to and say, here is the, you know, the, the reasons why you wouldn't be able to trust the church all come from a failure of its members to live up to the teaching. Like every one of those people we point to actually are, are failing to live up to the consistent and beautiful and entire teaching of the church. And so the teaching itself uh, isn't wanting. It's the, it's us living up to that, that is wanting. I think that's important probably to keep in mind. Um, one last question, just, you know, as, as we conclude this, I know we're going to get to talk again before we introduce the second pillar um, in roughly a quarter of a year, give or take however long that, that's going to be. But um, any, any kind of last words for the people listening to this podcast as they are getting geared up for January 1st and as they're getting ready to press play on day one, any, any kind of last words that you'd like to kind of share with our listeners? You know, I would just say that if you spend time studying and reading the catechism, you're going to find practical help, deeper understanding, deeper inspiration, deeper love, incredibly interesting facts. Mm. You're going to find that what's rolled out before you is in fact the most beautiful thing in the world because it's actually a study of God, right? All the catechism is, is a study of God himself and his revelation. And it all flows from God and leads back to God. And the Trinity is the source of it all. And the more you study baptism or the more you study the moral life, or you're, you're actually seeing a part of the beauty of God. And that's going to that's gonna change your life. And it's a beautiful thing when it happens. And all of us, I, I discover it too. When I read the catechism, I discover something new that helps me understand more deeply who God is. And hopefully it will push you even deeper into your own study and relationship beyond because we will never tire of studying God. That is great. Yes. Uh, Practical help, deeper understanding, deeper love. We'll never tire of having coming to a deeper understanding of God. I love that. Thank you, Bishop. Thank you so much for joining us today. Um, A couple of things for those listening to this podcast and getting ready to press play. If you're interested in getting your copy of the reading plan for the Catechism in a Year, you can visit ascensionpress.com slash CIY. So CIY standing for Catechism in a Year. So ascensionpress.com slash CIY. Or if you want to get speed up the process, you can text the letters CIY to the number 33777. Very biblical, very Trinitarian, very Sabbath. So CIY to the number 33777. Also, um, you can subscribe already. You can already click on follow in your podcast app to make sure you don't miss any episodes. Maybe you can't find it, but it'll find you, I promise you. But if you can track it down, you can subscribe or follow in your podcast app to receive daily updates and daily notifications. Um, I'm going to say a quick prayer and then 
Yeah, we'll conclude this time. Father in heaven, we give you thanks and praise because you have revealed yourself to us. You have given us your son. You've given us your son who lived for us, who died for us, who rose from the dead for us, who sent the Holy Spirit with you, Father, to us and gave us your church. You established that body of Christ so that we could be led into all truth. We ask you to please continue to fill us with your Holy Spirit, continue to guide the church, continue to help us to overcome skepticism, to overcome discouragement, to overcome doubt, and to learn how, what it is to trust in you, to learn what it is to hope in you, and to learn what it is to allow ourselves to be loved and led by you. I thank you for this opportunity to talk with Bishop Cousins. Thank you for every person who's joining us in this, on this, these pre-episodes as we begin to prepare our hearts and our minds to listen to the Catechism in the Year. We thank you for every one of them. Ask you, Father, to bless every one of them right now in this moment. You know their needs. You love them in their need. Come to us all in this moment. We make this prayer in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Bishop, once again, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. Thank you, Father Mike. God bless you. You too.